So I was visiting with this, this man the other day. He's actually a minister. And we were having a conversation. We had, we had met um, for the first time. And we were talking to each other. And, and we weren't deep in conversation. But I got the sense that he, he really didn't want to talk to me. And here's why. About three times in a 15 second span, I saw him do this. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know if he was checking his fantasy football. I don't know if he was trying to update some Facebook post. I don't know if he was playing some kind of game, Candy Crush or whatever game that's going on. But somehow I got the sense that I was really not important to him. That he was distracted by something that in his mind, was more important than looking at me in the eyes and having a conversation. I'm really weird when it comes to phones. I have a phone. I carry a phone. If you ask Lance, I don't answer a phone. And the reason why I don't answer the phone is if somebody's standing right in front of me, I feel like they deserve more attention than this little device that I hold up to my ear. Okay, and so this thing oftentimes sits in my pocket and then my wife gets upset because she's like, I called you three times today, you didn't answer. Well, you, every time you called, somebody was in there and I forgot to call back. But sometimes these can be seen as a distraction. And what I want to talk about this morning is the idea that somehow we get distracted from something that's so much more important. Several years ago, as we saw the family start to crumble, and we saw kids doing things that seemed a little more odd and and a little bit out of sorts, they started doing things that kids and teenagers don't do and shouldn't do. They were becoming more violent and more aggressive and more detached. One of the things they uh, determined from this is that kids weren't connecting with their families like they should. And so they came up with the phrase, psychologists did, of quality time. Let's spend quality time with our kids and then all of a sudden they're going to be more responsible and they'll have healthier, more functional lives. And I like the idea, but the problem is I think it's a load of junk. Because the idea that you're going to sit down with your child and say, okay, son, for the next 10 minutes we're going to have some quality time together is a joke. Look back on your time growing up. The things that defined you, the parts that you remember, those moments that you cherish so much weren't because your parents sat you down and said, okay, get ready for this. This is going to be something you remember for the rest of your life. No, it was something that was spontaneous. It was a trip that you took in a Winnebago across the country in which halfway there, not on the way back, on the way there, something went wrong with the whole septic system in the Winnebago. And for the remainder of the trip from Texas to Wisconsin and back, there was this putrid, awful smell. That is something that I remember from my childhood. I remember that Winnebago. Every time I see one of those large RVs rolling down the road, I instantly get that smell back in my nostrils. And I move over a lane. And I remember that moment. It wasn't like my parents planned that. But you know what? We laughed about the trip. That it stank. 
the whole stunk. I don't know the right word. It was horrible the whole way there, half the way there, and all the way back. It wasn't a quality moment. It was a moment that we spent together. And what I want to talk about this morning is about the time that we spend with God. I want to share with you a, a little bit of the history uh, of some of the Bibles that I've owned. This is uh, not the first Bible I received, um, but this is a Bible that I received as an early Christmas present. I graduated from high school in May of 1994, but uh, I was going to be getting a Bible uh, at Christmas of 93. This is actually would have been a really nice Bible at one time. It, it's a Thompson Chain reference Bible. Um, that has fallen to pieces. You can see there's about four pounds of electrical tape that was holding and did a good job of holding it together, but it didn't hold this together. Thompson Chain Reference Bible um, for a lower middle income family. This was um, really expensive. This this Bible is about uh, at this time was probably about uh, fifty sixty dollars. Now it's about eighty or ninety dollars. It's a really expensive Bible. And I was going to be doing the devotional as a senior at my church on a Wednesday night. Uh, and my mom cracked out uh, uh, this Bible from under the tree and said, I want you to open this early because I want you to use this. And I had this Bible with me the, the very first time I gave a devotional. And you can see it is tattered, it is underlined, it's highlighted. Uh, it has got um, all sorts uh, of different writings in it. I used this Bible for many years. Uh, you look in the back, I have lots of different passages. This Bible is very, very special to me. Unfortunately, it just won't stay together. Um, duct tape can only do so much. And finally, it got to a point where it needed to be retired. But by that point, I'd already spent so much time figuring out where words were on the page that I chose this next Bible is exactly the same, only it's the handy size. So the print is just a little bit smaller. Otherwise, it's a Thompson chain reference. Um, it's nearly uh, identical. Uh, this one, I put my, my card on it when I was a youth minister. It says Mansfield Church of Christ, Doug Crumb, youth minister. Uh, I have lots of more highlightings uh, in this one. Um, and I have uh, lots more things that are underlined. I have these weird squiggly lines on a lot of different verses. Um, that, that I'll explain about in just a minute. Uh, this one also got the addition of, of now all my Bibles have the multiple bookmarkers in them. Uh, I have a bunch of them because I like to flip around a lot and use them uh, as well. Although, as you can tell, uh, I began ministry uh, in 98. Uh, this has seen better years. The cover still holds on, but it's pretty worn out and it's a little small in my eyes uh, don't see those quite as well. And so then I graduated to this one. This one is a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It is identical to the, the first one, except it does not have any tape on it. And I use this, and it has the multiple bookmarks on it. Uh, and I have, I have been through this thing. Uh, I highlight in this thing. I underline in this thing. It doesn't have near as much as my maroon one or my first one, but I love 
having this Bible because I can read it and look through it. It's something that's really important to me. I mentioned about the squiggly lines. As I was going through uh, reading the Bible, there are some verses that I thought were really interesting to me. And I thought those are words that I probably should consider memorizing or, or committing to my heart or at least having at my disposal and so I wanted it to say memory verse. Well, if you make an M and then attach a V to it, it looks like a squiggly line. And so I went through and said, this is something important, memory verse on it. And I compiled all of these, and I don't know how many pages this little guy... Oh, wait, no, it has page numbers on it. There's 51 pages, and there's probably about 15. So I have about 750 different memory verses. I would love to tell you that I've got these memorized. I don't. Um, I did make cards out of all of these. I actually have memory cards that on one side have the verse and on the other side have the scripture. Because I really think that it's important to have these types of things uh, in here. Oh, I bet you we could find one. How about this one? First Timothy chapter 3, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says what? Here's how I remember. Turk, tur. T-R-C-T-R. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God, NIV 2011 says, servant of God, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's one of my favorite passages, but there's a lot in there. In fact, if you've been going through uh, the Believe book, you've noticed that every week we have a memory verse. It just so happens that the memory verse for this week is what? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And everybody knows it, right? Here we go. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this is important? I believe that we don't have this moment of quality time that we just say, here's what it's going to be. I think it's a continual relationship. And I want you to know that I believe that studying the Bible is not about this five minutes of quality time that you have, but it's just allowing yourself to be transformed by the Word. Several, several years ago, uh, the Green Bay Packers had gone on an away game, uh, and it was a game that they were supposed to win, but unfortunately, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, and they lost the game. And they drove back on the bus, and they all got off the bus, and Coach Lombardi took them into Lambeau Field, and he set them down in the middle of the field, and he grabbed a football, and he held it up, and he says, Men, this is a football. And he began talking to them about the basics. Something that had nothing to do with crowds or stadiums or the over-under or anything like that. He says, let's get back to what is really, really important. And so this morning, I say to you, men and women, this is a Bible. This is God's Word. I don't know if that really sinks into you. We've said that so many times. 
And I was, as I was trying to put importance, place importance upon this Bible as I was sharing with you this morning, I started thinking about what happened in September of 2010. All of you have heard over and over again the story of my good friend Joe, but I'm certain that most of you have not heard what took place one afternoon in a hospital room. Joe had uh, been diagnosed with a brain tumor. They gave him six to eight weeks to live. He lived eight weeks. But he knew he was dying. And he cherished moments with his family and with his friends. Uh, There was a rotation in which people were invited to go and sit with Joe in the last few weeks of his life. And they had a sign-up sheet that was placed in the foyer, and within the first uh, day, it was completely full. And we had to go back to people and say, I'm sorry, you can't sign up for 17 different times to go visit. You have to share. And so we said, you take some of ones and give some opportunities for other people to go up and see with him. And of course, I had opportunities to go see Joe and to sit with him. And I'll never forget on one of those last times that I went to visit. He had been visiting with several other people and he says, Doug, I want to talk to you alone for a minute. Uh, and it was just some, the, the rest of the family was there, his wife uh, and both of his daughters, and they went down to the cafeteria to go get something to eat, and we had the, the final talk. And he talked to me about life. And he talked to me about ministry. And he talked to me about worth, worth, work ethic. And he talked about how I'm supposed to love my family and love my church. And he reminded me that we just don't know how long we have to live. And so just make every opportunity and really, really focus on serving the Lord. I cherished every word that he said. He encouraged me. He says, Doug, you can do this. You're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous and you're going to hang on and you're going to do what needs to be done and I trust you. And I left that place just knowing that if for no one else but God and His servant Joe, I was going to do everything I could to keep things going. I lived by those words. I had energy and strength. He had given me a challenge. He had thrown it down and says, this is what needs to happen. Here's what you need to do, and you need to do it. And long after his death, I went back in my mind to that hospital room where I was sitting on the edge of that bed listening to a dying cancer patient who was my hero tell me, listen, be strong and be courageous and don't give up. It's one of those things I'll cherish. I wish so bad I had a video camera and I could just see his little face and his lips move as he was telling me those things. So many times I I replay that in my mind, thinking of Joe. I remember putting my hand on his foot. (laughs) He was five foot tall, did I tell you that? He had a foot that was like that big. I mean, he was just a little kid. I loved him to death. And I remember just holding his foot and saying, God, please, can't just let's do a swap here. 
please give him more time, take it off of me. And God said, this is what's going to happen. And Joe said, and here's how you're going to respond to it. And I, 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 that was my fuel for the next 18 months, was listening to Joe in his words. I will never forget that. And somehow, when I read on black, and, uh, black ink and red ink on a white paper, it doesn't translate as being as passionate as it was when I listened to Joe over five years ago. But I want you to know that this is the Word of God which is spoken to you. It did not come down from heaven leather bound. It took 40 different writers who wrote, over, who wrote 66 different books, two different testaments, over 1,400 years in order for this to be completed. I can't even try to fathom what that is like. Forty different authors. If the Bible had been completed in 2000, that meant that the first writer began scribing down what would happen in 600 A.D. I don't know what was going on in 600 A.D., I can hardly grasp what was going on in 1600 A.D. This is how long it took. There were so many lives that were sacrificed in order for us to have this right here. This is the Word of God. I am like so many others of you who have lost a loved one and what you would love to have is just for a few more moments to have another conversation. To hear them say, I love you one more time. This is what God left for us. This is His reminder of who He is and what He would do for you. This is not simply an archaic document that is vague in its description of what we're supposed to do. Let me tell you, this is the Word of God. God gave us His Word. More than letters more than words, more than sentences or paragraphs or books. This is His Word, His promise to each one of us. And I don't know about you, but there's a few folks in my life who I love and I miss who have passed on, and I would love to sit down and learn more about them and to cherish what they would say to me. This is what God wrote for us. And sometimes, when God speaks to us, we start doing this. And we stop acknowledging what this really is. 
I want to let you know there are a few things that this is not. Okay? As much as I would love to tell you that this is the answer book, I don't believe that God intended this to give you an answer to every question and every problem that you have. This is not day 365 I'm having a really bad day today. I woke up this morning with a cough and I can't decide, should I call into work sick or should I go, go in there and try, well, let me look on here. There's going to be somewhere in here that says this. It doesn't say this. This is a book about relationships and the way that God treats people. This is not an instruction book that outlines day by day what you're supposed to do. God has a different word for that. He calls that faith. That's what we're supposed to have. And that we're supposed to trust His principles and His promises outlined in here. Another thing that this book is not, is this book is not ammunition. And somewhere along the way, we decided that we were going to take our 50 caliber gun of morality and we were going to load it with Scripture and we were just going to start shooting people when they did something that we didn't like. And we would use this as, hey, this is, this is really what the Scripture says. And unfortunately, lots of people have been shot by the Bible. And we have people going out who are protesting um, uh, funerals and prote- uh, protesting uh, against um, people who have died overseas in a war. And they're going out there and the Bible says this. People have gone out and said that the Bible says God hates gays and black people and all sorts of things. And they load their guns with ammunition. This is not what the Bible says. And if your purpose of going to the Bible is to use it against someone else, that's not what it was intended for. It's to give us guidance and to show us love. The last thing that the Bible is not, is it's not a get out of jail free card. Like if I, if I study this enough, and I, I learn this enough, then God owes me something. Like I'm going to do good, I scratch his back, he scratches mine. I really would like this new car, I would really like... Um, a better spouse. If I read the Bible, then God is obligated to give me one of these. That's not true. This is a compilation of love letters from a God who desperately wants to tell us how He feels about us. My question is, Are you listening? Are you listening? I want to read a a short passage from you from Psalm. I really would like to go to Psalm 119. Uh, That's a a great passage. We'll look at it later on. But uh, actually, um, the psalmist in, in 119 was so inspired by the law given by God that he sat down and said, okay, verse 1 is going to begin with the Hebrew letter, which would be our A. And it starts with A, and here's something that's special about the laws, or the decrees, or the commands, or the precepts of God. 
And then he says, okay, verse 2 is going to start with a B. And then a C. And the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. He got to the end and said, I'm going to do that again. Six times he went through the alphabet. And for those of you who know your math, 22 times 6 is 176. And that comprises the longest book in the Bible. And it is solely about the love that the psalmist has for the Word of God. Now, how many of you are ready to write a 176-paragraph poem about the love that you have of the statutes and the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God. I was visiting with a, a friend on Wednesday night, and he was mentioning some struggles that he was having, as we all do, about the ebb and flow of life. And sometimes you, your spirituality, just you just are excited, and there are some days that you're just you're, you're empty. And I woke up that next morning, and this is the, the passage that came to my mind. And so I texted him this, and I said, hang in there. I said, here's something I want you to... To, to listen to. I gave one portion of, of this, one verse from this chapter. I'm going to read a few verses from this, but listen to this. This is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out, for the living God, even the sparrow has found a home in the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. I want to jump down to verse 10. I love this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in You. I want you to be reminded. I want you to hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And I want you to be able to walk out of here and say, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. How many of you would throw away a thousand day vacation, a three year trip all around the world to spend one day with God. How many of you would say, you can keep Hawaii, I don't want it. I want to sit at the feet of God. I want you to know that we have an opportunity to come to know God on a more real level. I'm not trying to push more work on you. I'm trying to say, put down the distractions. And instead, find yourself 
reading the Word of God. Let it change you. Let it transform you. Read the Gospels. Open up the Psalms. You want to hear about raw emotion? Read through the Psalms. About a David who's already been anointed king, but he's hiding out in a cave from the current king who wants to kill him. How revenge is something that's talked about. How repentance is something that's written down. How love and hunger and desperation and unbridled joy are all found. That's just in one book. There's a reason why it's on the best-selling list since forever. It's because it's the Word of God. I want to encourage you this week to pick it up. Read it. Underline it. If you don't have a Bible, get one. Come talk to me. I'll give you a Bible. Start reading the Word of God and be reminded of who He is and what He's done for us. If you're still questioning whether or not God loves you, remember that it was more than just the Word that He gave. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that flesh we call Jesus. And that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Son of God, He gave His life for you on the cross so that He could take away your sins and that you could experience a life so much better than what you may be living in right now. And I want you to know that that invitation is open to each one of you this morning. I want to encourage you to come to know a God who would write to you and who would not only send letters, but He would send His Son for you. And if you want to know more about that God or you want to die to yourself and be born again through baptism and you want to get to know who God is, I want to encourage you when we sing this song of invitation, come forward and we will walk with you as we grow closer to God. I want to invite you to come as we stand and sing.